This is episode number 57 of Unfolding Words, Chosen and Set Apart, Three Ways You Can Protect Your Position in God's Kingdom. My name is Antracia Moorings, and every week I come and share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for pressing play today. And thanks to those of you who stuck around for the special episodes of my one-year podiversary. I had a lot of fun interviewing some of my favorite people on the internet. And now we are back to regularly scheduled programming where I open up the word and share some gems with you. And my goal every week is for you to see the beauty of God's word and to want to know the author who is God himself. Today, I want to talk about kingdoms because there is a kingdom of God and there is a kingdom of this world. And the enemy of our souls wants to get us into his kingdom by any means possible. Daniel is a great case study on this, the book of Daniel. So I want to take a look at Daniel chapter one today and unpack some of these truths about how we're chosen and set apart, but how we also have to protect our position in God's kingdom. And now we know that we are sealed until the day of redemption. We know that we're protected in Christ, but we also have to be aware that we do have an enemy who wants to lure us back to the darkness from which we came before our souls were saved. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter one. And let me set the stage for this book since we're starting with chapter one. The prophet Daniel lived in the sixth century. This was before the birth of Jesus. This was during the time when All across the world, great history was being made. Sometimes we think that biblical history happens in a vacuum, but there was all kinds of other things going on throughout the world, such as the construction of the Acropolis in Athens. Mayan civilization flourished in Mexico at this time. Aesop was writing his fables. Confucius and Buddha lived and Greek art truly began to excel. The Phoenicians made the first known sea journey around Africa. So all of this is going on while Daniel is living. So in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. He had besieged Jerusalem for the first time in Jehoiakim's third year as king of Judah. And the Lord himself gave Judah into the hands of Babylon. This is part of a prophecy that the Lord has had given to the people of Israel that if they did not obey him, he would give them over to their enemies. So it was 605 B.C. Daniel was about 15 years old at this time, and several attacks on Jerusalem would follow, with many Hebrews being deported to Babylon, just as the word said, according to the word of the Lord. You can read 2 Chronicles 36, and Jeremiah also predicted this coming judgment. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 14, and Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. So a little bit about Babylon as a kingdom. This all happened in the land of Shinar. So the book of Daniel begins by letting us know that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. This mention of Shinar should set off bells and whistles in our head. At least it would have for the early biblical readers. The land of Shinar should alert us back to Genesis chapter 11. Shinar was introduced to the, in the book of Genesis with the Tower of Babel account. 
So if you've been tracing biblical history, and that's why it's best to read these books in full, in context, because there's something that's going on here that's connecting Babylon back to the book of Genesis. What do you remember about the Tower of Babel that would tie in with what you know about what is going on with King Nebuchadnezzar? I'll answer that for you. (laughs) Shinar is where Nimrod built the first city. We see this in Genesis 10 and 10, where the Tower of Babel was constructed. And this is where man's goal was to build his own kingdom. This is a prominent theme in scriptures. Man wants to build his own kingdom without the help of God. So here in Daniel, man is once again trying to build his kingdom without God. And it's significant that Daniel was one of the youths of the royal family or the nobles of Judah chosen to serve in this man-made kingdom. Daniel is a book about kings and kingdoms. The theme is God most high rules over the realm of mankind and the kingdom of men no matter how powerful they appear. God can establish his kingdom even when man has already set one up. And if you read through the whole book of Daniel, you'll see that very clearly. Now, the beginning of Daniel says some of the vessels of the house of God were taken. Nebuchadnezzar did not take all of the furnishings of the temple, just some. The remaining furnishings were either hidden before Nebuchadnezzar came or they were brought to Babylon later. So bringing these vessels to the house of Nebuchadnezzar's god Marduk was a dramatic move by Nebuchadnezzar. What he was saying essentially was, my God is better than your God. It would attribute the victory of the Babylonians over Israel to Babylonian deities, which is ironic because these deities don't even exist, so they cannot be responsible for anyone's victory. Later, other vessels were added to the collection. We see this in 2 Chronicles 36 and 18. And they all appeared on that fateful night of Belshazzar's feast in Daniel 5. So what we see with Daniel and his friends is that they were very skilled in avoiding the defilement of the kingdom in which they were working. So they were brought in to work for the Babylonian government. They were given very cushy jobs. But what they didn't do was given to the culture of the Babylonian kingdom. So first thing that happened was they had to exchange their Hebrew names for Gentile names. Kings often gave foreign names to those in their service, which we see here. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah. We see this in Genesis 41 and 45. But really, this is inconsequential because God had already given the boys a name. He had authority over them because he named them. Daniel's name, meaning God is my judge, was changed to Belteshazzar, meaning Bel's prince. Hananiah, meaning beloved by God, was changed to Shadrach, which means illumined by sun god. Mishael, meaning who is as God, was changed to Meshach, meaning who is like Venus, which is one of their gods. And Azariah, meaning the Lord is my help, was changed to Abednego, meaning the servant of Nego. Second, they were required to attend a Babylonian school and work for the government. They submitted, but they never forsook their heritage. They were given knowledge of this kingdom, but they never let that knowledge usurp the knowledge that they had of the true and living God. Third, they were eating food served at the king's table, or at least they were requested to eat the food that was at the king's table. So to eat the food from the king's table was an honor and a privilege. Joseph honored his brothers by feeding them from the food at his table in Genesis 43 and 34. David provided a place at his table for Mephibosheth, the son of his friend Jonathan in 2 Samuel chapter 9. But Nebuchadnezzar was not their king. God was. 
and he had established dietary guidelines for them that they were going to follow. We see this in Leviticus chapter 11, where it gave guidelines for the food that the Israelites were to eat. So we see that they stuck to them. So Nebuchadnezzar was smart. He chose the cream of the crop. We see this in Daniel chapter one, verse four. He picked youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. And they were taught the literature and the language of the Chaldeans, which is key because to learn a new language when you're a teen is no easy feat. But these young men were smart enough to do that. So they were like the choice vessels that were carried out of the temple. In chapter five, verse one, it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and silver. So they took these holy vessels out of God's temple and basically partied with him. But the human vessels remained pure. That's key. Daniel and his friends are examples of godly Jews in contrast to the Jewish nation as a whole. God judged the northern kingdom of Israel followed by the Southern Kingdom. He judged them for defiling themselves with the worship and the practice of their heathen neighbors. Daniel and his friends kept themselves from defilement, though. Even in the midst of being in a heathen land, when death was possible for them for refusing the king's provisions, Daniel and his friends stood their ground and were determined to remain pure to what God had called them to. This same thing is happening to us today as chosen and set apart vessels of God. Satan uses the same tactics that he used in the Garden of Eden. He may put a little spin on them, but they all exist under the same premise. So here are three ways that you can protect your position in God's kingdom. First, hold on to your God-given identity. The enemy wants to rename you and attack your God-given identity. He did this with Daniel and his friends renamed them names that gave praise and homage to these foreign gods, these false foreign gods that didn't even exist. So the devil wants to do the same thing for you. He wants to rename you according to those sins that you existed in before you got saved. He wants to name you adulterous, liar, thief, everything under the sun, other than what God called you, forgiven, child of God, a priestly nation, a holy people. Hold on to the names and the identity that God has given you. Secondly, Satan wants to educate you in the ways of the world. So just as King Nebuchadnezzar put them in positions, gave them schooling, gave them knowledge of their language, Satan wants to do the same thing. He wants you to be well-versed in the ways of the world. He wants you to love the things of the world more than you love the things of God. He wants you to be fluent in his language. We know the scripture says that he's the father of lies. He wants you to live a lie and speak lies so that you'll be one of his own children. Thirdly, the enemy's aim is to feed you what the world offers. 
There's nothing more than the enemy wants to do is have you pull up a chair to his table and dine and feast until you're full on the things of the world that bring you no fulfillment. And because they bring no fulfillment, you'll have to keep gorging yourself on the things of the world to get full. But the thing is that you'll never get full. So you'll sit at the enemy's table until you come to your senses and come to the light. Don't even allow yourself to be in a position where you're pulling up a seat to the enemy's table. Because once you get there, it's just going to be a continual feast of nothingness on the world. But God wants to feed you at his table where there's a continual feast, where you're satisfied and you're edified. So we see that Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had a plan in place. He thought that he was in control. When you read the book of Daniel, you see that his demise was fast and furious And he ended up losing his kingdom. But we have to know that God is in control over all kingdoms. There are three statements in Daniel 1 alone, which indicate not only the sovereignty of God, his control over men and creation, but also his intervention for the sake of his people. So in chapter one, if you go through and highlight all the references to king or kingdom, you notice that they refer to Nebuchadnezzar. So it looks like or gives us an illusion that Nebuchadnezzar is in control. But these three verses show us who is really in control. Verse number two says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. So it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar who won the victory. It was actually the Lord gave the victory to him because he had a purpose and a plan behind this. He was using this to get his children in order. The second verse is in verse number nine. And again, it says, and God gave. It says, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. So Daniel didn't rise to power and he didn't get the favor of the officials in Nebuchadnezzar's court on his own accord. It was God who gave Daniel favor and he was using this chosen vessel for his own good. And then the final verse that refers to God giving is verse number 17. It says, as for these four youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God gave them learning and skill. It was God who once again is using them to move up for his purpose and his plans. And then we see in verse number 18, it says, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, these are the Daniel and his friends, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, and the, and the king spoke with them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Now they're standing before Nebuchadnezzar But who's the real king that they're standing before? They're standing before the Lord Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So when we live according to God's standards and keep ourselves set apart from the kingdom of this world, we stand before God who lets us know what our true purpose is. So I just want to encourage you to protect your position in God's kingdom. Realize that you have an enemy of your soul who wants to take you out. He sees your potential. He sees the power that God has placed in you, and he wants to use that to advance his kingdom. But know that God has a plan for you. He set you apart, and he's called you out 
for a good work, and I pray that you walk in it until the day that he returns. That's it for this week of Unfolding Words. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It's great to be back behind the mic. Um, Be sure to check out the show notes for scripture references. And if you haven't already, please click the subscribe button and share the episode with a friend if you so desire. I hope you join me next Monday where I will be back sharing again from God's word. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.